This is an ABC podcast. First to London, where Prime Minister Richie Sunak is claiming a cautious victory in the Brexit negotiations with the EU on the vexed matter of Northern Ireland. We welcome back Naomi Smith, who is, of course, Ian Dunt's stunt double. Naomi is a public policy expert, the CEO of Best for Britain, and co-host of the wonderfully entitled political podcast, Oh God, What Now? So welcome back. Let's talk about the Brexit breakthrough, UK Prime Minister Sunak, and the President of the European Commissioner, a commission, Ursula von der Leyen, have just announced this new deal, the Windsor Framework. Please explain. Well, uh, thank you for having me back, Philip. Lovely to be here. And yes, what a day we've had in the UK over the last 24 hours with finally a breakthrough on the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is part of that Brexit deal that Johnson, uh, Sunak's predecessor but one, negotiated um, and that has been a thorny issue for the last couple of years. And finally, a breakthrough. After a series of very pragmatic, grown-up, calm negotiations between the UK and the EU, which is a marked difference from the approach of Johnson uh, and Liz Trust even. So um, very, very welcome news, not only for Northern Ireland um, and the people there, of course, for, for whom this is a big breakthrough, but I think this will also be a shot in the arm for the whole British uh, economy, for UK businesses that trade over that Irish Sea uh, border and into Northern Ireland and, and onwards into the single market. So there have been a few concessions on both sides. Um, and basically what it means is that lots of the paperwork, that Brexit bureaucracy, the red tape that traders between GB and NI were having, that's Great Britain and Northern Ireland, were having to complete in order to move their goods backwards and forwards is now gone. That That is set to be gone, um, uh, unleashing lots and lots of potential for, for trade to just flourish rather than get bogged down in form filling. So that's, now, that's Naomi, I understand it uses a green lane versus yep. red lane. Yes. Okay, so a slight explainer on that. Um, what you've got to remember is that the European Union is a single market, and so it has lots and rules and regulations about what it allows in and doesn't allow in to that single market in order to protect uh, high quality standards, regulations, that kind of thing. It doesn't want very low quality, potentially dangerous things, usually agricultural products, entering the single market. But now what will happen is that um, th there will be a trusted trader scheme uh, that is extended, meaning that uh, goods can move much more seamlessly through from Great Britain to Northern Ireland if they're destined to stay in Northern Ireland and have very little risk of ever making their way over the the border uh, into the Republic of Ireland, which of course remains within uh, the EU single market properly because Ireland is still a member of the European Union. So goods that are going from uh, the, the rest of the UK into Northern Ireland and are just going to stay in Northern Ireland because the people there are going to consume them or make something else with them, they're fine. They can go through a green lane, no checks. And those that are potentially heading on into the Republic of Ireland will undergo full EU customs checks uh, in the ports, and that is called a red lane. Australian listeners are demanding to know about the sausage wars. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yes, um, I mentioned agricultural products. They're, they're the sort of things that um, uh, have been <laughs> um, classed as a potentially high risk uh, uh, item that, you know, sausages, you're never really sure what's in a sausage. So I kind of get it. I kind of get the fear. <laughs> they're, not, they're, they're colloquially known as mystery bags. Indeed. Oh, that's such a good name for them. Lovely. I like that. Okay. So yeah, so sausages were a sticking point. And uh, of course, you know, lots of uh, producers, farmers, pig farmers, uh, food processors, and consumers were just like, oh, for goodness sake, it's just a sausage. Does it really matter if one sausage gets bought at a supermarket in Derry and somehow makes its way over the border in somebody's lunchbox into Donegal uh, in the Republic of Ireland that afternoon? And everyone's sort of seen sense over that. Well, that's, that's that's wonderful. Won't Boris be unhappy because his old plan, the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill, is now redundant? Well, if only. Well, I mean, that was technically, I think, a Liz Trust bill, but of course, heavily supported by Johnson. Johnson is aching to come back. I mean, he he is so desperate. He has been freelancing as the de facto Prime Minister of the UK for the last few months, going off to. Kiev, meeting Zelensky, off to the States, other places, trying to pretend that he is still uh, in number 10 when, of course, he's not. So he's been looking for any opportunity to come back. And he very much hoped that the right flank uh, of the Conservative Party would not back Sunak on this. And indeed, the DUP, the Democratic Ulster um, uh, Unionists, who are um, not yet being clear about whether or not they do accept this uh, this uh, Windsor agreement, they're keeping their cards close to their chest and saying they want to pour over the detail. Johnson, I think, was hoping for sort of big rebellions from there and that he could sort of come back and say, well, only I can unite uh, the Brexiters behind the, the Brexit party that is the Conservative Party. So um, he's sort of keeping himself a bit quiet at the moment. Uh, I think he's waiting to see whether once the detail has been poured over by that right flank of the Conservatives and the DUP, he may be able to wedge himself in there. But right now, it's not looking good for him. It does look like Sunak's pulled off a victory. I understand that Ursula had a chat to Charles. She did. Now, this is um, causing a few feathers to be ruffled because in the UK we have uh, parliamentary sovereignty. We have a head of state that, of course, is the monarch, but they very famously try very hard not to involve themselves in political situations um, and, and try to keep out of it. The, the, the signalling that this sends that Charles was happy, apparently on the advice of Number 10, to meet with Ursula von der Leyen uh, yesterday uh, shows that perhaps he is up for being a little bit more politically engaged than his mother was. Um, but of course, what you've also got to remember is that the Unionists in Northern Ireland, they love the monarchy. They love all things, you know, British and traditional um, and and uh, you know and, and are big fans of the monarchy probably more so than any other quarter of the UK. So it's put them in a very difficult position as well, um, and 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 they'll be feeling a pretty sore uh, that the the institution that they so dearly want to be very closely aligned to, the British monarchy, um, has has met with the EU leader. How have the hardline leavers in the Conservative Party reacted to Sunak's deal? I mean. 
quite incredibly, not a single Conservative MP has broken rank to criticise this deal in full yet. Now, Sunak's playing a bit of a gamble here by not uh, pushing uh, Parliament to, to vote on it quickly. Um, and actually, he doesn't have to push them to vote on it at all. There's no sort of legal requirement for him to do that. But it may be sensible to shore up um, uh, support for it by, by not pushing that to a vote this week, and we, we expect that it might come within the next couple of weeks, he is, of course, allowing them time to find things they don't like about it uh, from that right flank. But early signs are that they are all, I think, pleasantly surprised that this hasn't been a big sellout to the EU, that he has managed to um, uh, create some mechanisms whereby uh, the Northern Ireland um, Assembly Stormont, which of course hasn't sat for a while, sort of gets forced back into uh, sitting and then has control over some of the uh, rules and regulations as we apply this new um, Windsor framework going forward. However, I think, you know, we've got to remember that the Labour Party is still well ahead of the Conservatives in the polls um, and so that might be driving some of this um, lack of discontent and lack of rebellion. These Conservative MPs know that they need to get behind the Prime Minister so that he's got some chance of fending off a Keir Starmer victory at the next election. Over the, the long time I've been chatting to your colleague and my friend Ian Dunt, it's been an endless list of scandals, scandals, scandals. So now I understand there's to be a code of conduct for MPs. Oh, I mean, look, scandals, scandals after scandals. It, it, it doesn't make you very proud to be British lots of the time. You know, our current Prime Minister has got two fixed penalty notices. This is Rishi Sunak. He got one for breaking lockdown rules. He's got another one for not wearing his seatbelt in the back of a car. Of course, Johnson got um, a fixed penalty notice as well. He's currently under investigation by the UK Parliament's Privileges Committee over whether or not he misled Parliament. We've had a steady drumbeat of corruption scandals uh, from our politicians, most of them in the Conservative Party, particularly over contracts that were awarded during COVID. So a new code of conduct can't come a moment too soon. And this is a refreshed code. So there always has been one, but this is being refreshed. Um, Does it have any um, teeth? Well, hopefully, I mean, it needs to because um, public trust in the body politic in the UK is incredibly low, unsurprisingly, uh, after everything that's gone on over the last few years and the whole kind of sleaze uh, and corruption that has dogged them with the headlines. Um, it's going to ban any paid parliamentary advice, so members can't provide advice to an outside employer, uh, you know, about how to navigate um, the parliamentary systems. They're going to have to have a written contract, a very formal contract uh, for any work, any employment that they do outside of their role um, as a, a member of parliament. And it's going to have to list all of their duties in that role. And very importantly, their title the lobbying rules because there have been scandal after scandal after scandal basically cash for access people buying uh, access uh, you know through lobbying firms to uh, very influential people both um, uh, MPs themselves but also ministers so we do need that to come into force and let's see let's see whether it'll have teeth or not uh, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating on that one. Finally a tribute to uh, Betty Boothroyd the first female speaker of the House of Commons she's just died at 93 here's a bit of Betty in action Order. Oh! There is no point in waiting for silence. The honourable gentleman is going to get silence. Could you 
I've just made it clear to Mr. Duncan Smith that the leader of the opposition is not giving way. And yet, since I made it clear, he's been on his feet three times trying to intervene and to disrupt. Order! Order! I haven't finished! I haven't finished! I have not finished this yet! She's been remembered very fondly on all sides, apparently. She has. Not only was she this incredibly inspiring woman, she was the first woman speaker of the House of Commons here in the UK. That it was truly groundbreaking for the time. And she was fierce, she was funny, she had this very, very sharp, a very formidable woman. And if you ever sort of talk about breaking the glass ceiling, she broke it, but she broke it with a panache. And of course, she was also a pro-European conservative. They are lesser spotted these days. So we will miss her, but what a ripe old age she got to, and what a wonderful, wonderful legacy she leaves behind. Good on you, Naomi Smith, public policy expert, CEO of Best for Britain, and co-host of the political podcast Oh God, What Now? Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.